Previously on Life Before Birth. My name's Rian, and this is my pregnancy journey. But in many ways, it's everyone's. It's time to start thinking about the 20-week anomaly scan. The 20-week scan is a medical investigation where we look at abnormalities. So Matilda, did you enjoy seeing the baby on the screen today? Yeah, it was so exciting. Life Before Birth has been made possible thanks to Tommy Tippy. Tommy Tippy understands expectant mums are often in the dark about feeding. That's why they've launched a new campaign called The Boob Life. The Boob Life strives to tackle the impact of breastfeeding on mum's sense of self, confidence and body image, to promote freedom of choice and to empower mums to feel great about their breasts. Feeding isn't a one-size-fits-all. Every experience is personal and unique. That's why Tommy Tippy's Made For Me range was made for you. Head to tommytippy.com forward slash en dash gb forward slash the boob life to watch the campaign video featuring real mums and discover their Made For Me products, which are loved by babies and recommended by generations of parents. The third trimester. I'm in the third trimester of pregnancy. I'm 30 weeks pregnant, so the baby is now the size of a courgette and probably weighs in at around two and a half pounds. The baby is now also having periods of sleep and periods of activity. And I'm definitely really aware of my baby's movements. They're very sleepy during the day and wildly active in the evening, just as I'm about to unwind. And this is really common because being up and about all day, baby is likely being lulled to sleep by the movement. But at night, just as you slow down, baby wakes up. I know I've got to get used to sleep deprivation, as it's not going to get much easier when the baby arrives, but it's been a killer. The third trimester begins in week 28 of pregnancy and lasts until you give birth, which may be around week 40 of pregnancy. There's so much to contend with in these final weeks. For me, I'm really battling with pain in my hips, pelvis and back. I'm taking paracetamol fairly regularly, but getting up and down the stairs or into a car, it's painful. So I'm going to chase up my physio appointment. I've been waiting on a referral for a while now, and I'm at the stage where I really need some help with the pain. Hello. Oh, hello, is that Rianne? It is, yes. When the doctor called me, I was so worked up. I felt like I had this golf ball in my throat. I was on the edge of having a panic attack. I explained that I'd been waiting for a physio appointment for weeks and weeks and that I'm desperate to see a physiotherapist. And I just don't and um, I'm just hoping that I can get referred like quick quite quickly. Now I'm really struggling to get up and down the stairs. I've been waiting 8 weeks and it's just yeah, starting to take its toll. Okay. So you're 30 weeks now. You were seen yeah. by the consultant at 22 weeks. Uh, yeah. so 22 weeks, so 8 weeks ago. So that would have been July, June. Yeah, it was in June. Um, two weeks ago at the surgery, I saw a midwife um, who wasn't is not usually there. She's um, she was stepping in, and um, and my the midwife I was originally given has left the the okay. has left. So <laughs> I'm just okay. feeling in a bit of limbo, really. Okay, and so it's it's the SPD, is it? That's yeah, it's 
massively. So I've got it, like, it's quite bad on my tailbone, but it's like, it feels like my hips are splitting apart. Like it's Ouch. so painful. Yeah, I've been taking paracetamol, but I've been careful with it because I don't want to over overtake it. No. Um, but um, I have, I have had, yeah, a little, it takes the edge off slightly. But when I say it's still, it's really strange. I'm trying to do other things as well. Like I know swimming, you know, obviously not doing breaststroke, but I know swimming can be quite helpful and it relieves it for a little while. But obviously, it comes back quite. But because our bathroom is upstairs as well, like it takes me five minutes to climb the stairs. Yes, it really was, yeah. It was, okay. Yeah. I will try both, I think. That's probably the easiest way to try and sort it for you. Thank um, you. So hopefully you'll hear something soon, okay? Okay. If you haven't heard anything... So, yeah, I mean, if you... I suppose I'd like, to, I'd like to say you'll have heard something within a few days. So if you haven't heard anything in a few days, by all means try and call us or just call physio at the hospital directly and, and you might get passed around a bit, but you might get somewhere. Okay, thank okay. you very much. Okay, all right, thank you. Then. Thanks, bye. Support for this episode comes from Mum and You. When you're about to become a mum, it can be overwhelming to decide what products are best for you. Everything at Mum and You is made by mums for mums. When you have a mum design the product, you know it's going to tick a lot of boxes. Like their eco-friendly nappies. They're different because they're made from a plant-based cotton-like material and free from harsh chemicals. So they're super soft and gentle against baby's bottom. And thanks to a super absorbent core, they'll keep your little one dry and leak-free for up to 12 hours. And when you're feeling tired and your brain feels fuzzy, their beautiful design of playful characters are there to inspire you to chat to your baby at change times, which really helps with their development and that lovely bond. From their nappies to biodegradable wipes and skincare, the Mum and You range is both eco-conscious to protect your baby's planet and lovingly made by mums to make your life easier which is why other mums rate Mum and You as excellent on Trustpilot. For 20% off across their site, visit mumandyou.com and use promo code TRY20 at checkout. Tommy Tippy is offering listeners of Life Before Birth a discount on its range of innovative products. Whether you need baby bottles with breast-like teats or time-saving bottle prep machines, Tommy Tippy has you covered, meaning you have the tools to parent in a way that works best for you. Sign up to Tommy Tippy via their website, tommytippy.com, for up to 15% off your first order and access to an exclusive welcome pack. Happy shopping. I received a letter in the post today with a referral code to call the West Hertfordshire Hospital Therapy Unit for an urgent physio appointment. And I called them and they can't see me for another week which doesn't sound really unreasonable. And after some back and forths, I know it's been sorted really quickly or as quickly as they can manage this time, but I'm just struggling so much. So another week of waiting for a physio, like another week just seems just, ah, oh, it just makes me want to cry. I'm feeling really hopeless, really desperate, just angry, like just nothing's in my control. And I hate that.
I arrive at my physio appointment and my physiotherapist, Nadia, asks me whether I've had physio before. I tell her I have. I needed physio for both of my previous pregnancies. And I tell her my daughters are now six and four. So, uh, youngest daughter's just started reception. Yes. Yeah, because my daughter's the same. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay, lovely. So, this is your third pregnancy. Lovely. So um, just so you know how it works from here, we get the referral through via the consultants, midwives. Um, it's told us a little bit. And obviously from having your correspondence, we knew I knew you had babies before from yeah. there too. But um, it's an opportunity now to have a look at your pelvis. Brilliant. So just recapping, yeah. just in case it's different before, what yeah. we do is we ask questions, find out a bit about you, find out how it's um, impacting on you, you know, across the time, across your pregnancies, talk a little bit about your previous pregnancies because all of that influences. Mm-hmm. So I will do ask some questions for first then we do an examination to find out something tailored towards you and then I'll go through some treatment advice but it's more of an assessment today because it helps me pick the best treatments for you and also we need to bear in mind I don't want to flare up your pain um, because the most important thing is trying to keep that in control and manageable too so we just have to go to how you're feeling so if it's feeling uncomfortable just be honest you know we want to see how things work together to try and see if we can get something from there too okay so let's start from the beginning then so you said this is your third pregnancy can mm-hmm. we start from the beginning on your first yes. pregnancy so what what difficulties um, did you have so then? i was really fit and healthy in my first pregnancy um i've always been nadia and i talked for about 30 minutes about my previous pregnancies about the size of my babies when they were born matilda was 10 pounds martha 714 and when i started developing pain in my previous pregnancies We talked about the support belts I used previously, about the deliveries, but also how I didn't need physio after pregnancies, as the pain went very soon after both births. We got through a lot. And then we talked about how I'm doing now, in this pregnancy. At times I wouldn't either expect, so when I've been doing the walk sometimes, the school run, I get a shooting pain and my leg, I feel like I'm literally dragging my leg afterwards I can't actually bend my leg properly so my whole hip I'm having to kind of swing so your that shooting pain tends yeah. to be when your pelvic pain's at its worst yeah. would you say so you get that Absolutely. and then you get the shooting that's quite really debilitating side yeah. of things too is that the bit that made you upset before when you talked about it? sometimes it kind of got you upset was it that yeah, shooting pain I think so yeah I think because it it's you just don't know what to do with it I just, yeah. there's nothing that seems to relieve it and it's, it happens at the most strange times as well so it happens then quite a lot but also when I if I get up in the night obviously I'm going to the bathroom millions of times a night so when I get, get up in the night to go to the bathroom sitting up is so hard going from that lying down to sitting in that position my hips just seem to stiffen overnight if I've been lying down for a couple of hours it's like nope we're not moving you're not getting up um so it's really difficult to get up and when I get up and I do get up I find that I've literally lost complete mobility of my of my right leg it's really strange. My husband's like, you look, I can see you literally dragging yourself. Um, so that's really odd. I don't, I didn't you, have it how that often bad you, last time. Yeah, how often do you get that pain? That I get that every night where I can't actually walk to the bathroom properly. And it seems to be that I can walk back after I've been up for a few minutes. It seems to like, oh, it's woken up a little bit. But um, it's the same with, um, that's how I wake myself up quite a lot from turning over. Just if I turn from one side to the other, I'll get a shooting pain down my back down to my down my legs then as well so that wakes me up and then <laughs> obviously I'm waking up with shooting pains yeah okay and how's your health in general apart from the pelvic pains anything else to be aware of no it's pretty good apart from that she asks me a lot of questions about my health whether I have any heart problems lung problems whether I'm epileptic or diabetic 
there was a long list. No heart or lung problems, no. not epileptic or diabetic, no thyroid no. problems, no broken bones in the past, no. or joint conditions like osteoporosis, brittle bones, or rheumatoid arthritis. No. Perfect, lots of questions to begin with, but it really helps us to give a snapshot for you more specifically. Yeah. So I'm just gonna just talk through pelvic pain to begin with, because it helps to kind of make sure we all got the same understanding about it. And then I'm gonna do an examination and just focus on stuff a little bit more. But you know, you've got some good knowledge yourself already. You already described quite a few things that I would talk through anyway, that you said, you know, cause you were familiar with your first time, second time round, you got that early help, you mm. know, once you get now, when you saw some niggly pains rather than waiting until you're debilitated and can't do anything which is important because it helps us you know you're still doing a good level of fitness which means we can do more the worst is when you get to the point where i'm in agony when you've got that leg pain can't move don't want to do anything even coming to the appointment is difficult mm. so it's good that we can start to do some stuff and there's plenty of things that we can do with you like you described some things that can increase your risk of pelvic girdle pain is big babies yeah because you've got more weight going through your um, your pelvis if you've had two pregnancies near each other because again you kind of haven't allowed as much time for your body to get the fitness down exactly what you described as mums looking after the children too it's difficult to have time to do the fitness and also your body takes the time to recover from the um, from the labor as well and also it's just about getting that level of exercise so for you you've learned actually rest doesn't always help it's actually getting the right level of exercise so you've done lots of positive things but there's some other bits that we can try so like you described spd and pelvic related pelvic girdle pain bit of a mouthful but they come interchangeably this is a really nice leaf that I'm going to give you to go home with, which was designed by Pogpi. It's a, a group of physiotherapists specialising in the pelvis. So not just pregnancy, lots of things, but they designed this booklet, which we really like. So I'm going to give it to go, uh, go away with, but highlight a few things as we go along for the nighttime reading when you can't sleep, when you're tossing and turning. So again, um, pelvic girdle and pregnancy-related pelvic girdle pain, so uh, PGP, um, is just a group, it's an umbrella term for any pains around the pelvis. SPD, symphysis pubis disorder, is actually just between your legs. So if you think of it zooming in on this picture here, it's just that pain right between. People literally like, I can feel it right there, rather than this general pain. Mm -hmm. But it's not always just between your legs. It can be this general area, which is what you described more, yeah. around here yeah. and the lower back. And you can see it kind of encompasses. You also have it lower than here, but it can be, you know, all these key areas because it's where this pelvis joins together. So our pelvis is like a big loop that comes round and there's a gap in the front and there's a gap in the back where our tailbone sits. So you can have disruptions around the front here the back or in several places where our hips also connect in. So it's kind of got a large area of things. So that's why they're using this more umbrella term. So there is still SPD, but it's very specific at the front. Right. Pelvic girdle pain encompasses kind of all areas around uh, the okay. pelvis. So SPD is a subsection of that, if that makes sense. Um, uh, and like you described to before, one in five people, you know, um, tend to have pregnancy related pelvic girdle pain and it can build up to different severities. So some people have it very mildly and then about 7% um, can have it very severely and disabilitated. And that can um, then lead on to delivering early because of the pain and different side of things from that. So it covers a large amount of women and actually some people can have it afterwards. So even when you deliver babies, you were very lucky that you had, you know, resolved very quickly, which is brilliant. But you can still have some pains afterwards. So it's important we're getting help before, but also you might need some more support afterwards. And then we discuss the do's and the don'ts. What activities can make pelvic girdle pain worse? 
So in general, that pelvis is that loop. We want to try and avoid things that's moving one side of the pelvis away from the other excessively. So if we open our legs really wide, we're gonna be putting some pressure on those joints. Now, some people can do it and it's not painful. Great, because we wanna keep as much flexibility as we can, but if it is painful, we want to try and avoid those things so we don't build up into this painful picture. So often it's a kind of thinking, well, is it good to go through pain or not good to go through pain? In this circumstance, it's not good to go through pain because it just actually ends up getting worse. And with pregnancy, you're limited with what treatments you can have to help with pain. You know, you can't take the strong painkillers if you do something really bad, you know, and then and you're more limited what things you can use. So our aim is trying to do as much exercise and different types of exercise as we can as the pain allows. Sometimes, you know, that initial, should I, should I, you know, the effort of wanting to do it, yes, you have that, but actually when you're doing the exercise and 10 minutes afterwards, it shouldn't have massively increased your pain. And that's the kind of side of stuff we have to work together to get the right balance for you. So do's and don'ts tends to be things that are gonna separate across one side to the other. So, you know, standing on one leg, twisting or bending, crossing your legs, you know, sitting on the floor, we often sit in positions with our legs, you know, apart. Your children are a little bit older, but you might still be doing some stuff where you're playing onto the floor. You know, these kind of things are stuff to kind of think about. Um, and that's where sometimes the pain can guide you to help you to know I know what things do and don't, but stuff like the school run you can't avoid. Yeah. So you've got to try and work between those things. I, and think, I think it's funny as well seeing a couple of those on the list and I'm just, I always, I just seem to push it as well. My husband always complains that I just push what I know when I'm like already feeling a little bit fragile and then I'll vacuum the whole house. Yes. And then I'm not going to walk. Yes. <laughs> and, like, and that's the describe we describe it. as pacing. So our, our bodies like to have the same amount of activity ticking along, yeah? But what we do is, I feel awful, I'm not going to do as much, so we don't do much. Then I'm like, I feel better now because I've rested. I'm going to catch up, and because I haven't cleaned anything in the house or done any housework, I'm going to do loads. We do loads. Mm. Then I, then you overdo it, you're in pain. So I'm not going to do much. And then you, end, you kind of go yeah, these that, peaks and troughs. Absolutely. And it's just trying to, yeah. And it's just trying to get the balance. But it's not just your body you're thinking of, it's all other sides of stuff that we were as humans. Yes, we know about the pain, but it's all that other side and it's just coming to terms with juggling. Also, the girls might want to go out to the parking lot, probably a bit too much, but I don't want to. There's so many factors that build up to it. It's not black and white. I'm saying I've got two children, I know what it's like, yeah. but it's just trying to get that level of just pacing things and tweaking things where we can. Obviously, the school runs not even a long distance, so that's we've got to obviously just give you some extra support for those ones. But it's just thinking about your general activity. What are you doing? Do you do all your housework and jobs on certain days. In just our first session, Nadia had built up a really accurate picture of me. She called my number on how I just do not stop. I can't sit still and encouraged me to find some things to keep my mind active and engaged instead of my body. I realised I need to think about some of the ways I can make my life easier when the baby comes too. I'm really bad at taking time to relax, but with two young children already and a baby to look after, I'm going to need some help. And I've been thinking a lot about breastfeeding, because breastfeeding isn't always easy, and feeding a newborn baby every two hours can be really draining. I've been looking at getting a set of bottles that I can use alongside breastfeeding. I've decided on Tommy Tippy's Closer to Nature bottles. I've used these before. My first baby was super fussy with the bottle, and this was the only range she liked. We use the anti-colic baby bottles. And they've now got bottles in silicon, which is meant to feel more like skin so really breast-like. I'm hoping it'll be easy for John to feed the baby as well, and I'll be able to catch up on some rest.
So I left the appointment feeling so much happier. I had direction. I knew what to do to help myself. I know I have to force myself to take some breaks, now and when the baby comes. But no matter which way you cut it, these last few weeks are really challenging, mentally and physically. It's not just dealing with pelvic girdle pain. There's heartburn, there's indigestion, which is the growing baby and hormones creating havoc with your digestive system. There's also the puffing out and swelling. My feet are so swollen that I've taken to wearing wide-fitting shoes. And itching. My stomach and breasts are incredibly itchy, which is caused by the skin stretching. Yet, at the same time, as I'm growing and growing, and I feel like I can't get any bigger, this baby this month is going from the size of a butternut squash to coconut, pineapple, cabbage, all the way up to the size of a watermelon in just 12 weeks. It's incredible. And it's not just the size of the baby that's developing. As the baby continues to grow, and as the third trimester progresses, they'll have a better chance if they're born early. I spoke with Dr. Sankara Narayanan, a paediatric consultant at Watford General Hospital, who specialises in neonatology, which consists of the medical care of newborn babies, especially the ill or the premature newborn. But first, a message from our sponsors. Support for this episode comes from Joy Baby. Joy make parent-favourite, worry-free baby gear designed to make family life easier and stand the test of time. Joy knows your number one priority is keeping your little ones safe, and so is theirs. From the smartest manufacturing, to the highest quality materials, to the toughest testing around, Joy checks all the boxes to keep your kiddos snug and safe, whether on the go or cosied up at home. Check out Joy's award-winning push chairs, car seats, high chairs, and so much more at joybaby.com. Frugi Bloom is a new range of ethical maternity wear made from 100% GOT certified organic cotton. For those who want to be mindful of the environmental impact of their clothes, Frugi Bloom's super soft contemporary styles are made with clever design details that adjust your changing shape. This allows you to wear your favourite maternity styles during pregnancy, breastfeeding and beyond. Frugi is loved not only for playful, bright clothing for babies and children, but also because they are taking active steps to help our planet, using organic and innovative recycled material in each collection. On a mission to help raise the next generation of eco-warriors, Frugi invites new mums to feel fabulous with an exclusive 10% off Frugi Bloom using code LIFEBEFOREBIRTH10 at welovefrugi.com. TNCs apply. So from a medical definition perspective, a preterm birth is defined uh, anything, any birth that happens less than 37 weeks gestational age. And that was predominantly based on the belief that the lungs were not quite mature and babies were born less than 37 weeks, had some difficulties transitioning to normal life and needed some additional support. But with uh, modern advances in the technology, the care that we provide and the survival has now, the gestation in which the survival happens has decreased as low as 22 weeks now. So we classify different stages of prematurity because the type of complications that you expect and the level of support these babies need is quite different. So an extreme preterm baby is, uh, the definition is less than 28 weeks uh, gestation. And there's a, another definition of very preterm baby, which is 28 to uh, 32 weeks 
And then there is a moderate to late preterm baby, which is 32 to 36 weeks gestation. Okay, and how does the care differ? How do you look after preterm and extremely preterm babies? So I'll, I'll start off explaining uh, about the care that we provide to the moderate to late preterm infants, which is 32 to 36 weeks gestation. Most of these babies are born in a good condition, but may need some minor support with their breathing in the initial minutes, hours, or maybe the first day of life. But subsequent to that, uh, they will all be able to tolerate feeds, maybe through nasogastric uh, tube feeding for the initial day. And we now heavily focus on keeping the mother and the baby together as much as possible because of the short and long-term benefits for the infant's physical and mental health in the same way for the mother as well, breastfeeding and bonding. Uh, and when you go below 32 weeks, uh, then the breathing support that is required is of a higher level. And in this scenario, the baby gets admitted to the neonatal intensive care unit. The more premature the baby is, the longer the breathing support would be required. And same goes for the ability to um, feed feed for uh, themselves. They will need longer periods of tube feeding support on, on occasions for the extreme preterm infants less than 28 weeks. They will also need nutrition through the intravenous route. So all the, the protein, fat and the glucose that you need will be given in a concentrated form through a vein for until the baby is able to tolerate feeds uh, orally. And do we know why babies are sometimes born early? Uh, that's a million dollar question uh, and that's something which you know uh, uh, research has been going on for the last 25 uh, odd plus years trying to understand why preterm birth happens don't think researchers um, have cracked it quite yet but in a large number of preterm births the labor starts spontaneously there is a link between uh, infection and preterm birth so in about 50 to 60 percent of cases there will be some evidence of inflammation in the placenta. We don't know why that um, um, infection happens, but there are certain risk factors. And also another uh, big association between preterm uh, birth is the um, socioeconomic status. The lower the socioeconomic status is, the higher is the risk of preterm birth. The other links are smoking, history of having a preterm baby before it increases. Is there ever a time when the medical staff decide that the baby needs to be born early and the pregnant woman needs either a C-section or needs to be induced? Yeah, so there's there's a range of factors that uh, uh, lead to that decision. You're absolutely right, you know, sometime uh, baby needs to be delivered early. So we largely classify that into maternal indications to uh, keep the mother well. So sometimes there will be uncontrolled diabetes in the mother, uncontrolled high blood pressure, and these are all certain complications uh, that happens in certain pregnancies. And the delivery will be maybe the only answer to make the mother feel better. So, and then there are other, other causes like um, placenta previa, where the placenta is uh, quite low and is obstructing the exit of the womb and the mother goes into spontaneous labor, the baby there's a risk of bleeding. So they may have to uh, ask for a cesarean section earlier. And another common cause for preterm birth for, or, or for a cesarean before labor starts uh, earlier in the gestation is multiple pregnancies, twins and um, triplets and beyond. I definitely worry about this. I'm sure a lot of pregnant women worry about their baby being born too early. Is there a gestational date that if the baby reaches it, then they're more likely to survive and be okay? And while we're here, can you also explain what the threshold of viability is? 
The threshold of uh, viability in the context of preterm birth is mainly around the baby's ability to breathe effectively and the heart to function effectively so that they can transition to the extra uterine life. So the thresholds of viability is largely therefore dependent on the gestation. So a large amount of work has been done in the UK and worldwide around assessing what gestation is can be rightly defined as a, a threshold of viability. In the UK, uh, there's a study called Epicure study, which looks at birth less than 26 weeks and what happened to these babies, how many survived, and amongst the survivors, what the disability rates were. In the UK, British Association of Perinatal Medicine published a, um, a statement in 2008 that largely defined 23 to 24 weeks as the threshold of viability meaning babies born less than 23 weeks had a very high chance of dying, therefore would not be offered um, resuscitation at birth. However, with rapid improvements and advances in neonatal intensive care and the technology that we use, that document is currently being looked at and we are expecting a, a new publication soon. So for example, the statistics um, says that if a baby is born at 22 weeks, seven in 10 such babies unfortunately will not make it and one in three babies who survive will have severe disability. These uh, figures improve each day, week, the gestation advances to 26 week figures looking like two uh, in 10 babies die, so 80% survive and one in one out of 10 babies who survive, so that's only 10% of babies have a severe disability. And are there any other factors that could impact whether a premature baby would survive without any problems, and yet another baby at the same gestational age may not survive? It's it's a it's a great question. You know, uh, I I wish I, I knew the answer to this, but what some of there are some risk factors to between the same gestational babies. The risk of survival is different. One is uh, the baby's growth. Uh, during the uh, pregnancy. So what we in medical terms we call is intrauterine growth restriction or IUGR, which essentially means that the placenta has not been working well for whatever reason and the baby's um, nutrition has been affected and the baby has not grown appropriately to that gestational age. If this is an additional factor in the mix, that particular 25-weeker is not going to do the same way as the 25-weeker who is appropriately grown. Uh, in addition to that, as I mentioned um, earlier about the other antenatal interventions like um, giving mother steroids, uh, two doses a day at least 24 hours before delivery and giving the magnesium sulfate optimizes the transition for the baby. So the baby has less breathing difficulties, less risk of um, uh, brain protection because the magnesium offers a brain protection. It's a brain protection intervention. So all these factors influence what the outcome is going to be uh, for this baby. But at, at the end of the day, each case is individualized and uh, the risks differ and it's an ongoing process that we categorize that risk. We would never know until that baby you know, grows older, one year, two years, three years, four years, five years, we continue to follow them. And with the premature babies, how long would they need to be in hospital for, you know, before they can go home? Yeah, so this is a very common question that is uh, being asked of us by the parents who have preterm babies in their unit. Probably that's the first question they ask, you know, we are worrying about the baby's breathing and the ventilator and the heart function. Sometimes parents want to know how long we are going to be in this for. 
when are we going to be going home? Traditionally, we used to answer this question by saying, most likely around your due date. Uh, so for a 24-weeker, that means four months in the hospital. But with the modern technology and the improvements and the collaborative work that we do as a multidisciplinary team and also working in partnership with families, that has the stay, uh, the inpatient length of stay has significantly decreased. Uh, so now most babies who are born um, less than 28 weeks, they go home somewhere between 35 and 37 weeks of gestation. And is it possible for a preterm baby to breastfeed? Absolutely. Preterm uh, babies are not you know, ready to feed for themselves at the beginning. However, breastfeeding is really important for a preterm baby. Breast milk helps the preterm baby in a very special way. For instance, being in the neonatal intensive care means the baby is separated from the mother. Baby is not getting the friendly or good bacteria from the mother instantly like a term baby would. Preterm baby is exposed more to antibiotics that sterilizes the baby's gut, so the, friend, the good or friendly bacteria as well uh, is lost. So breastfeeding, there's a lot of evidence to support breastfeeding, uh, helping development of the newborn uh, brain, more so for the preterm infant. It reduces the risk of a dreadful condition called necrotizing enterocolitis, which has a high mortality in a preterm infant. And also uh, preterm uh, babies who have um, the mother's own breast milk have a lot less complications in terms of the breathing difficulties and also the long-term um, neurodevelopment is better if they're on breast milk. You've said that technology, medicine and improvements in collaborative work is better in neonatal outcomes. Can you explain some of the advances in neonatal care and how this has helped improve the chances for preterm babies? There are several um, advances uh, that's been made in uh, neonatal care over the last couple of decades. Neonatology uh, in itself is a very new speciality. You know, a lot of improvements has happened in the last uh, 20 to 25 years. Uh, so I would say the landmark developments have been the initiation of giving steroids to the mother who is at risk of a preterm delivery. Although we knew that steroids worked early 90s, it didn't become commonplace practice until the early 2000s. And a lot of improvement work that goes on within the NHS. Now the compliance rate to this particular intervention is between 90 and 95% across the country. And then the um, invention of this surfactant. Surfactant is a substance that the lung cells produce and it reduces the surface tension within the little air sacs so that the air sacs remain open so the baby's lungs can exchange oxygen and carbon dioxide. If you're born preterm, you don't have enough surfactant. So the surfactant is now a standard treatment and that has also revolutionized neonatal care and improving survival for preterm babies. And other interventions such as modern ventilator technology, modern incubators that keep these babies nice and warm, uh, can humidify up to 80 to 100 percent, enhanced um, interventions that reduce uh, the rate of infections. We're having more powerful antibiotics and also the teams that are looking after these vulnerable babies work and communicate well together 
there's lots of human factors approaches as well to how we manage in you know, the situation too much very much of a multidisciplinary approach so all these things have sort of definitely contributed to the improvements that we have seen and at 32 weeks my baby is really getting ready for their arrival and so am i in this trimester i'm having more checks with the midwife as it's important to check on the mum's health and babies in these last few weeks and i'm starting to think about all the practical stuff like the things i need when the baby arrives i started looking at car seats today because the only one we have is super old and heavy and has been gathering dust in the loft for 4 years i got into a stew looking at the choices available so i called damian marriott who is the head of product development at joy to help me out Damian choosing a car seat seems to be an absolute minefield so where on earth do I start Uh well for general advice really you've got to start really looking I think at your budget to start with uh the lifestyle that you lead the convenience or features you think you may want may also denote the type of longevity that the product's got and uh, then the install method so whether we're looking at belted or isofix type products So obviously budget will dictate a lot of these things as to uh, which style we're we're going to end up going for for example your your infant carriers you know sometimes people look at those and think oh, they don't really last very long you know 100 pounds is generally an average price for them and as a guide you know roughly a year so you're thinking wow it doesn't last very long for 100 pounds is it worth it if you're adding a nice big space to that you've got at least another additional 100 pounds on top again for potentially a year's use uh you've got products that will go from birth to fall for a couple of 100 pounds so of course you uh, you know increasing the longevity there for for a similar kind of price point and there are also products on the market that for again around that 200 250 price point you can go from birth to 12 years so the the thing really comes down to then that convenience and features which will give you that benefit for um, paying the extra money to get the maximum level of comfort and convenience for both you and the baby and for me comfort and convenience is vital This is baby number 3. I've had two previous C-sections and if I'm carrying the baby around in a car seat to my girl's ballet classes or piano classes, school drop-offs and pick-ups, I need a portable car seat and something light. Uh yeah, sure. If you're going down the infant carrier route, then the there are infant carriers out there that are 3 kilos or less. So, of course, they are very very lightweight and we've got a new one called the Icenug we've just recently released that is uh, very light but also made to the latest and greatest ISI standard. So, super safe but lightweight, taking an infant carrier back to its core value of being lightweight so it's portable and, and easy for scenarios like, uh, you know, having C-sections etc. So what's changed that I might need to be aware of now in terms of safety features that I might or regulations that I might not have be like be aware of? Sure there's been a a change that started back in 2013 with a new regulation that's coming into uh, into force now uh, called R129 many of us actually know it as it's sort of part of the standard called I size. So it's now a height based system 
versus the old and still current regulation, which is weight based. Now, another very, very important part of the new standard brought in a minimum age that a child must remain rearwards. So previously, nine kilos sitting up unaided, a child could legally face forwards in the car. Under the new R129i size regulation, the child must be a minimum of 15 months, irrelevant of weight. So by bringing in 15 months, it is certainly helped to raise the awareness that rearwards facing is safer for the child. And many seats, like through our particular range of car seats, we have many, many birth to four years that can remain all the way from birth to four years rearward facing. They have the option to face forward. So if there comes a point that we decide, OK, now's the time to turn them forwards, you can do. But it does allow you to keep them rearwards all the way through till four, maximising the safety for every day on the road. Damon had some other handy tips too. He explained that belted seats are just as safe as an isofix when fitted correctly. This was great to hear because for us, as this is baby number three, they'll be in the middle seat and we don't have an isofix there. He really helped with the mental load. There's a lot to think about in these weeks before the baby comes. And with only a few weeks to go, it has become increasingly important to think about what may happen during labour now. We're going to a birth options clinic, which was set up by the registrar weeks ago, as well as attending a vaginal birth after C-section course or VBAC, as it's more commonly known. A lot to cover today, but why? Why are we having these sessions? Well, I'm gonna hopefully uh, provide the rationale why vaginal birth after the cesarean section has become such a relevant issue, not just now, but it's been a relevant issue for the last uh, 10 to 12 years, I'll say, at least here in this country. Um, you're gonna have an opportunity to talk about your previous experience if you want to, but there is a need for you to do so. I got to hear about other women's experiences of caesarean, which was really helpful. The course was really aimed at those who had had one previous caesarean. And my situation is a little different to that. As I found out speaking with Antonio one-on-one as a patient in the birth options clinic, having had two emergency C-sections previously, well, there's not that much data available on going on to have a VBAC after two caesareans. And being in that room, on the VBAC course, really highlighted that for me in a more tangible way. There is a genetic consensus between the National Institute for Health and Social Care, used to be called uh, National Institute for Clinical um, Excellence, the Royal College of um, Obstanguine and then um, NHS um, Improvements, that plans vaginal birth after a cesarean section is clinically a safe choice and it's as safe as having a cesarean section for the majority of women with just the one previous cesarean section. I'm now only weeks away from the baby being due and I still really don't know what to do, whether I should try for a natural birth or arrange a planned c-section. I'm feeling really lost. Life Before Birth is a production of Reby Media, written and produced by me, Rian Owen. Sound editing and production assistance by Ross McPherson.
Original music for the series is composed by Nick Atkins. Series supervision by John Young. Our executive producer is Rory Harris. Thanks to Tommy Tippy, Colin Neal and all the staff at Parkwood Surgery in Hemel Hempstead, Nadia Perez, Damien Marriott at Joy Baby, Dr. Sankara Narayanan, Antonia Sierra, Kate Ewer at West Hearts Hospital NHS Trust, and all of the medical and support staff at West Hertfordshire Hospital NHS Trust that have helped us in the making of this series. And a special thanks to my children, Matilda and Martha. You can find us on all podcast apps and on our website at life.reby.media. Please do leave us a review. It really does help others hear this story. Thanks for listening.